All right. So this is the inaugural episode of Discourse, and I am Ian Brunner. And I'm John Podvesco. And the basic premise of this podcast is to uh, take two concepts or ideas or thoughts we had during uh, the week or bi-weekly period, because it's going to be every Friday from henceforth and so on into eternity. Indeed. (laughs) Um, uh, And learn about them, bring them to our recording session, teach slash discuss them together, and uh, hopefully generate thoughts from the internet as well. Uh, You got anything to add for that? I look forward to discoursing with you. Oh, it's discourse with two S's, because not only do we tend to, you know, tangent into infinity, but also because we tend to insult each other while doing it. (laughs) It should be fun for all of us. Um, So, the topics we have today, I brought why do we watch slash read slash partake in horror media. Horror, not horror. I know I say ours really badly. Well, you know. (laughs) Why do we partake in horrors? That would, that would be an interesting podcast. Uh, a bunch of sound clips, I imagine. <laughs> the plot of my miss. Oh. <laughs> and I would like to discuss the Belle Dive Roundup of July 1942. Uh, Holocaust-era anti-Jewish shenanigans. Here we go. Um, I'll start with the Veldive. Now, I actually, haven't, I actually didn't learn about the Veldive in high school. The first time I heard about it, was in a book that I borrowed from a coworker called Sarah's Key by Tatiana de Rosny. She is a Parisian author who writes historical nonfiction. Uh, Sarah's Key also has a movie adaptation. Uh, but if you have time to read the book, I highly recommend it. It's high quality stuff. Now, what the, Bel- what the Veldive Roundup was, it was a particularly dark time in French history where Following the German occupation, starting in June 1940, local French police were enlisted by high-ranking SS officials to gather Jewish citizens in Paris for deportation to French concentration camps and eventually for their murder to Auschwitz. Early on the morning of July 16, 1942, local French police officers began to collect women and children from the suburbs of Paris and hold them in the Velodrome d'Eva. Now, I didn't know what a velodrome was, but it's apparently an indoor bicycle track. Just think of an indoor running track that also has curved walls like NASCAR. If you're into roller derby, it looks like that kind of space. This wasn't the first time that the velodrome was used as a a detainment center. In 1940, the Velodrome de Eva was used to detain Jewish men and women of German citizenship who emigrated to Paris. At that time, a few thousand men and childless women were held. This time, in 1942, 7,000 Jewish people were detained, including 4,000 children. In total, between the 17th and 19th of July, French police gathered 13,152 Jewish people. Now, this was actually very different from prior roundups, because um, at the end of 1940, around 40,000 Jewish people had been rounded up in France, but this was different. This was the first time that French police gathered women and children. This was partially because the the Germans had forecasts of how many Jewish people they wanted rounded up. They had predicted about 22,000 people 
for this roundup. And in order to meet those numbers, the French police started gathering women and children. In fact, um, of the 13,152 Jewish people abducted, uh, nearly 6,000 of those were women and over 4,000 of those were children, leaving only about 3,000 men. Around 6,000 of those 13,000 were immediately taken by French buses to a transit camp in the northeast of Paris called Drancy, but the remaining 7,000 were held for five days in miserable conditions in the Velodrome d'Iva. Now, there was very little food or water, and of the 10 lavatories available, five were blocked because they had windows, and the other five were also blocked off. One or two doctors or volunteers from the Quakers or the Red Cross were allowed to provide aid each day, which obviously wasn't enough for thousands of people. Amputees, pregnant women, and especially children all suffered. Aside from starvation, 300 children also had triple cases of diphtheria, scarlet fever, and measles. Many of those children would die in the Pethivier and Bonin-la-Roland camps before even being taken to Auschwitz. Please excuse my pronunciation. I took Spanish for eight years. I never learned French. Tweet us and mock him. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> After five days had passed, all the remaining Jewish people abducted between the 16th and 17th of July were transported to the Drancy, Pithivier, and Bonne-la-Roland camps in northeast, southwest, and southwest of Paris, respectively. By the end of July, the children were separated from their parents, and by August, all the remaining Jewish people were taken to Auschwitz. At that time, there were only 3,000 of the original 4,000 children. Since then, in 1995, the French president has addressed and apologized for the complicit role that French policemen played during the raid. In 2017, uh, President Emmanuel Macron more specifically admitted the responsibility of the French state in the roundup and also in the Holocaust. Um, it's kind of a coincidence that I chose this topic during the same week that Ian wanted to discuss horror because reality is plenty horrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you think about some of the other countries that were invaded by Germany in the World War II era, uh, for example, the Netherlands, uh, their police forces were asked to comply in the roundup of Jewish people as well, but there was notable existence in Amsterdam. Uh, Belgium was just a constant war grounds. Um, But this was the most prominent case of local law enforcement complying in the roundup of Jewish people that I'd ever heard about, and I didn't even learn about it in school. What I'm thinking of is when, um, when because Hungary, Hungary was basically a Nazi country at that point. Like, Gosh. they very barely were like not. They were definitely fascist, but they weren't part of Germany, so it's not you never connect them. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, uh, Ali Wiesel and Knight basically, and I don't know if it was Knight, Dawn, or Day, one of them, says, like, you know, he tried very hard to forgive everyone, but he could never quite forgive the Hungarians. 
because mm. the Hungarians were the ones who rounded him up because um, his village was like on the border of like it was like Hungary and then Romania took it back and then Hungary took it back. Gosh. Um, so he just kind of always had a really hard time with Hungarians, and like being of Hungarian descent, I can understand why. Because you look, I don't know enough about Hungarian news to make comments about them, but like my family members all have very similar political outlooks and it tends to be the polar opposite of what millennials is are and is it like an age thing or just like a region of the world you're from thing because hmm. you know like my dad was saying hungry defied was it the un the un is not taking migrants mm-hmm. um uh but yeah i know very it's a weird thing. Like, is it nature versus nurture, or is that is it? It's probably both at that point. As with any topic relating to the Holocaust and World War II, this is just shocking and disturbing. There, I had a hard time reading through all the material and parsing out what was what was real because little things like the numbers being different by different counts made it hard to know what was real and what wasn't. Um, for example, uh, one, one source that I read had said that the French police were determined to carry this out by themselves because essentially they wanted to save face. They knew that they were occupied by Germany, like most of northern France was occupied by Germany at that time, including Paris. And what, to deny that they had been completely conquered? They took this monstrous task on by themselves? Yeah, but um, like I would like to, con- to compare you know, how Hungary was to the French government at that point. Like, Was it just that Hungary was also like on the border of Germany and <laughs> conquered, or was it just that they were incredibly fascist? But... Mm. We're also ignoring, like, you know, the French government capitulated, but the, like, incredible resistance movement of the French. And I cannot remember this guy's name. I actually taught my students about him uh, last semester. He's a, he was, like, 18 or something, and he was a passport forger in Paris mm. during it. Wow. Um, so he would forge, you know, like, really, like passports, but these had to be made by hand because there wasn't machinery at that time. Like, mm-hmm. even, like... Um, there was like certain orders of dots on the paper that he had to do by hand to make these patterns and um, he said at one point they had like a rush order and they needed like 200 passports so he, so he, he made like 200 passports in 48 hours without sleeping once oh my gosh um, dude's still I think he's still alive I'd have to look up his name but like yeah France capitulated but not entirely hmm. like just cause your government sucks doesn't mean we're like we're not assuming all of France was. That's that's very true. Uh, in in my re- my cursory research, I found a lot of testimonies from occupants of the unoccupied area of France, mostly the, the southern parts, who would do everything they could to smuggle in supplies and aid to uh, to Jewish prisoners in the concentration camps camps on the uh, southern borders of yeah. France. Um, it took a lot of effort for the Germans to completely push back all the aid that the the French people wanted to give. Mm-hmm. 
And just and I it also reminded me because I just finished well I'm reading the rise and fall of the Third Reich slowly <laughs> three hundred pages out of like sixteen hundred giant book yeah well because that that author whose name I don't know off the top of my head was in Berlin during World War Two um, and I believe his job was actually to go through the files in Hitler's bunker at the end of the war so it's all mm-hmm. cool stuff but uh, they were talking about and and then I just finished. Um, a Brief History of Time by Hawking, mm-hmm. and he talks about how Einstein, you know, sensing that uh, anti-Semitism fled to America, and when he said he wasn't coming back, that you heard the German newspapers published a headline in the paper that was like, good news, Einstein says he's not coming back. Because <laughs> they, like, raided his house and everything and took all his files. Mm-hmm. But the war actually pushed Einstein to be more um, Zionist, like... He mm-hmm. he wasn't he well, he wasn't particularly religious, um, but the war made him more more supportive of his faith because of how you know the world was treating Jewish people at that time. Um, kind of ironic, given the tremendous potential for destruction that he would eventually help create. Yeah. Well, it's just like, you know, the thing you needed most to win the war, like, you pushed away because, mm-hmm. and it, it's like, it's a weird coincidence, like, that's perfect for that. Um, but, I don't know, I don't know how to describe, like, the rounding up of people, like, what's the most recent thing similar to this, I guess? Hmm. And, I mean, the first thought comes, to me, is the North America or the American southern border with uh, mm. migrant camps and I honestly don't know enough about them to discuss it that much but you know you see pictures and you hear about the kids being kept in cages and I know a few of them have died and it's definitely not on the same level as mm-hmm. uh, France during the Holocaust but still mm-hmm. like what else is there even well comparable I mean, at this point on the west coast at the uh, before American involvement in World War II, there were the, the Japanese concentration camps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I actually taught uh, Farrell the Manzanar, which is about that too. Mm-hmm. And I always remember that quote that opens with, like, despite all the... It's, it's in the book, and I'm going to terribly misquote it, but it says, like, you know, despite all of the fear and worry about spying, there was never one confirmed case of... Uh, Japanese sabotage or spying. Mm-hmm. Um, but this basically, I guess, to me, you know, it's fear of, it's it's a very kind of like Lovecraftian fear of other people, mm-hmm. like which is <laughs> every Lovecraft story. But um, it's a, uh, it reminds me of uh, the Ta Nehisi Coates, um, who I think is writing Black Panther comics right now. Oh, cool. Um, but what the heck is the name of that book? Promise, no, Promise Me Dad is Biden. <laughs> What's the name oh, of this gosh. book? Um, I'm going to have to Google it really quick. But basically, he uh, he says something like uh, uh, the problem with racism isn't, um, isn't race. It's that we teach people to perceive race between the world and me. That's mm. it. Um, and it's not that like people are racist, it's that we teach people that race matters. Because even the people who are positive about race, who say like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're black or you're white or uh, you're from Asia, um, 
it's more so that we teach people that that even matters at that point because mm -hmm. you're still propagating the idea that humans are different based on skin color. So then are you saying that teaching the history of race might lead to continued race description, uh, discrimination? I don't... See, it's like a weird catch-22 because like when you tell people that, the media thought is like, well, no, it still matters that I'm black mm -hmm. or I'm white and like my people have this history, um, which is definitely important to like formative concepts for people. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also like by even defining yourself as something other than like I'm a person, right. um, you're also feeding into that idea that race matters. And it's like, how do you even ever do that without giving every single person on the planet an existential crisis? Oh my gosh. I imagine we're going to be talking a lot about existential crises <laughs> yeah. and all these topics. But yeah, obviously by teaching uh, the history of race and persecution and discrimination, we should be able to move forward more quickly on a personal level, right? It's like the sooner you're made aware of that, the sooner you realize where people have been with respect to discrimination and how we can move forward together past that more quickly for each person. Yeah, and I don't know. Like, it's just like, how do you define something like this? Or not even define, how do you... How do you reconcile this without talking about it? Which I'm not saying people shouldn't talk about it, but I don't know how to move forward because it's it's just like you've got to be so vocal about it that until the people who are annoying and racist die, that there's more of us left than them, more progressives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Just scream it to the rooftop, get your soapbox, pulpit, podium, whatever, and just preach to the masses until you get taken down and then someone else will replace you. Yeah, and that's why like sometimes when I'm listening to like Logic, like mm -hmm. I find it really interesting because sometimes it's on um, the Everybody album where he says like, uh, um, he says something, or it's in Black Spider-Man where he says like, I don't want to be black, I don't want to be white, I just want to be a man today. I don't want to be like Christian, Muslim, gay, bisexual or something. Like it doesn't matter. It's just like, you're a person mm -hmm. um but then a lot of his other songs also have the race racial background culture context which is really interesting um and it's also really interesting just to hear stories from like that point of view mm -hmm. even though they're sometimes awful um but it's like what direction do you want to take do you want to just it's almost impossible to say you're colorblind mm -hmm. um, unless you're literally colorblind <laughs> Well, even then, but between humans, that's not the thing. Yeah. But, um, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, Stephen Colbert has this funny quote. It's just like, I just pretend everyone is white. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Colbert. Yep. <laughs> well, I don't know if we have any... Oh, yeah. Uh, apparently, well, th this is uh, one instance of the numbers not being consistent. Of the 13,152 people that were taken, somewhere between 400 and 780 survived. None of the children survived. Hmm. Um, now I'm just thinking about uh, um, when I was Googling things about Wiesel because of I was teaching him. Um, 
which I'm definitely not qualified to do. <laughs> I don't know enough about the the Holocaust to do that. Mm. Um, but, and the first thing I saw was like, it was very obviously one of the photos was in Photoshop, but it was like his number from Auschwitz because Auschwitz is uh, the only camp I believe that actually did numbers on people. Oh, I, I think, that, and that's why there's that book, The Tattooist of Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. But I think people have like, problematic responses to that too um to to the book or the practice of tattooing the book Ah. i haven't read the book i think it's just fictionalized and people think it's like too sensational Mm. um and i hope i'm getting this right i believe it was that only auschwitz did numbers like that or at least for the most part it was auschwitz Mm. um but someone had so it was like him semi-recently because i think he died like two years ago Mm. um and he uh and the tattooist no uh, Wiesel. Oh. But there was a photo of Wiesel with the, at some kind of, you know, outdoor event, and you could see the number, and then the same photo with a number missing, and I was like, and the people were like, oh, which one's photoshopped? This is the original one. And I was like, mm. just, you know, shut the fuck up and do that. Right. I can't understand uh, people who deny that the Holocaust happened. Yeah, like, I, it, it just blows my mind. But then, this just brought up like an infinite tangent of the History Channel show Nazi superstructures. Like, what do they think is going on in that show? Like, if these places, I mean, okay, there are. I saw one picture of a um, uh, gas chamber in one of the camps where it showed people were like arguing that the camp was fake because the chimney wasn't hooked up correctly or something. Hmm. Um, and you know, like. I, I obviously think the Holocaust happened, but I was reading it and I was like, this is like, if I was someone who was willing to be swayed, this could be something that was like well thought out enough to like sway people with mm. the conspiracy theory data. Um, but like, you know, the camps are there. They think like the Jewish people just went around and built all these camps really quickly and secretly so that... Um, you know, in case the conspiracy was ever uncovered, that they would be there. That's a little far-fetched. Like, what's the argument? Like, what's the basis, except racism and insanity? Uh, what's the word? Uh, something that conspiracists all have. Not just doubt. What's the word? No. Skepticism. Skepticism, there we go. yeah. Uh, question everything, I suppose, but when there are people involved, and when people died, that's... Mm-hmm. a lot more sensitive of an issue yeah like I feel weird even talking like bringing up the idea that like people had like at least an argument that they could substantiate because like I'm like no this happened and this person's just being annoying but mm-hmm. like I saw the photo and I read a little bit of it and I was like don't like that <laughs> gosh um but yeah moving on the, I guess my topic for now um so and even just relating it back to human horror uh so i both of us have incredibly deep interests in horror and part of the reason i want to talk about i thought about this is like why do i like this stuff because i remember when we saw hereditary you Mm -hmm. know and the mother is just uh grieving grieving, and you were just like i'm out (laughs) for like 10 minutes no, for for real. I, I'm used to horror and gore and the hideous things that people do to get to do to each other, but at one point in the movie, this mother's child dies, 
gruesomely. And she's screaming, I wanna die, I wanna die. I, I couldn't, I, I was triggered. <laughs> I, I literally had to, I had to walk out of the movie, the, well, walk out of the, the theater to the bathroom, splash some water on my face, just breathe, and then I could come back. Yeah, and I was thinking about like, you know, that really bothered you, and to me, I was like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> I was more like at the end when it got me, when the whole trap was laid bare, and I understood the, <laughs> the scope of the story, mm. and that's when I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I was thinking about like, you know, uh, Ronnie, my girlfriend, for the people who are, if anyone who is listening. Shout out to Ronnie. Yeah, she sure hear this. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll be here in July, and I was like, hey, you know, Peel and Ari Aster talked about Midsommar, Midsommar, however you say it. Mm-hmm. And Peel was like, I'm glad your movie came out after mine because yours would just blow mine out of the water. Oh, man. Um, he's like, you know, it's absolutely terrifying. So I, I was like, Ronnie hates horror movies. So, like, I texted her and I was like, you know, do you want us to wait for you to see it? Because, like, you don't ha- I won't make you go with us if you don't want to. Um, especially because it's supposed to be scarier than a normal horror movie because it's prestige mm-hmm. horror. Um, oh, gosh. Which Hereditary was. That's right. Um, but, uh, and she was like, yeah, I guess I'll go. So I was like, you know, what's the difference? Like, why, what is our reaction to it versus Ronnie not liking it? And for Ronnie, it's literally just, I think, anxiety. Like, you mm. know, the movie makes you anxious. It's designed to make you anxious. Especially anything with jump scares. True. I love any sort of interview with people who work on horror films. I believe... Oh, shoot. What was, what was that one movie that had the specific instrument made for it? Uh, I think it was Mama. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. This instrument, it looks like a wooden box with uh, a, a piece of sheet metal draping off of it. And... It's played mostly with a, with a bow, like a violin bow. Mm-hmm. And it makes all of these really unsettling, creaky, screechy sounds that filled the soundtrack of the movie Mama. I guess there's going to be a sequel to that, by the way. Oh, my word. Um, well, I mean, it doesn't make sense, because at the end, one of them just turns into a butterfly. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but so thinking about that, I found... I found a ton of articles and they were all kind of redundant, like they had similar things. So I basically broke it down into two. Uh, someone from Science Nordic in 2017 did a literature review of famous psychological articles about why we like horror and psychology today in 2015. Um, and the first one, they basically said it had three reasons. They entertain us and fend off boredom. Um, they help us explain evil and they also t- help us deal with our own anxiety. Uh, so basically personality tests show that people who get bored easier score higher on a trait called sensation seeking which is definitely me (laughs) um so some people do extreme sports and some just go watch like really weird freaking movies okay you know like i have no interest in bungee jumping but i would definitely like vr bungee jump (laughs) vr bungee jump well do you think you'd really get the same experience i don't really care to risk my life doing it Hmm. um because I know that it's like a thrill-seeking thing and that's exciting, but for me, part of the reason I watch horror movies is because I've had paranormal things that I can't explain happen around me, mm-hmm. or at least, well, at least things I can't explain, possibly paranormal. I think the reason I like horror films, I like to see how people deal with extraordinary situations. Uh, I, I was telling you before we started recording today that my, my favorite character in DC 
is the Joker. Hmm. Not like Batman or Superman or any of the colorful heroes, but no, just the Joker, who had a very bad reaction to a very bad day, and his messed up mind has permanently altered the lives of so many people. It's one, re- one reason that I collect the, the Harley Quinn comics, hmm. to see how she deals with the continued trauma that she had with the Joker for years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think... Well, I, and I saw it's partially because I, I've had my own paranormal experiences, and partially because literally sometimes I... Um, this, this was, I was thinking about this recently, because the Make Believe show with the cast of King Falls AM where they discuss a question every week. Mm -hmm. Uh, The most recent one, um, it was about your greatest loss. And Noah James, the guy who plays Ben, was talking about how his was when he he wanted to go from being, he was on the verge of being like, you know, the geeky best friend or like the young romantic lead. And he's like, I want to be the romantic lead. So he started taking his job really seriously and working out and doing all this stuff. And then he had trouble like finding joy in his job anymore like it wasn't just like he was acting for fun he was like always had to be on because he had to be super professional Mm -hmm. and he lost like touch with his inner child Hmm. and i sometimes like you know when i'm just like living my day-to-day life and i'm like outside and you know like it's like really amazing that like clouds hang in the sky i was thinking that like two days ago but sometimes like you just don't have like any wonder left because most things are easily explained by science mm-hmm. and that's why i'm so interested in space and also the bottom of the ocean oh yeah because i'm like you know what the fuck is there <laughs> the ocean is terrifying yeah the, the, the deeper you go the weirder things get and the more inhospitable to, pe- to people it is yeah um so like i i lose that like sense of wonder and by seeing like a horror movie where i have no idea what's going to happen next most of the time i'm like i'm like excited again about something I feel like horror is, is pretty unique in that way. Even action films or Mission Impossible, even if the action is keeping you on the edge of your seat, horror films, there's this element of dealing with what you don't understand. Yeah. At least in Mission Impossible, it's like fast cars and, and conventionally attractive women doing dangerous things for maximum profit. Yep. But in a horror film, like a monster is either... Well, okay, a monster could just be feeding, right? Yeah. It could just be doing things that any animal would do, and because it's so big and terrifying, humans have a hard time dealing with it. Mm -hmm. But when you get into really intelligent horror films and you don't understand their motivations, it becomes exciting on a whole other level. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, one of the ones I read uh, talked about how, um, you know, like, basically... They were trying to define what a horror movie is, which is really hard. Um, and like, so one explanation was like, does it have a monster in it? And you know, like they were like, okay, not all horror movies have monsters in it. Some of them just have people. But in mm-hmm. that case, the people are monsters. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes those people usually are like, like Hannibal Lecter, where like they're almost like a superhero because of how smart they are. Mm-hmm. You know, like Hannibal Lecter just seems to be able to read people's minds and predict what they're gonna do sometimes and outsmart them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it like got into the idea of like yeah sometimes uh, the person is the monster what actually is the monster in the story um, I think where else we can go with that well you can't 
you can't just say that one characteristic of a person is a monster. Like let's say, let's say it's like greed, that someone is in it for the money and they decide to hurt a bunch of people to, to make profit. And you can't say that it's fear of the unknown or like uh, Oedipus complex in the case of like people who capture and do horrible things to women. It's, you, you can't dismiss that as a separate part of humanity because horror and the terrible things that we do are all part of the human experience. Yeah, but in these, in these movies, for the most part, like, the person is so skillful at something that, like, no average human could do it. Like, even if an average human attempted it, they would just get caught. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, when you, if you watch, like, um, Hannibal Lecter, you're just like, man, this guy would be caught 80 times over, and you just have to go into it with suspending your disbelief. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, so it's really like an amplified aspect of negative human traits. Um, so yeah, it's like, do you have a monster? The monster has to be threatening in some way. It can't be like a friendly monster because it's not horror. It's just like, dude, we got a new pet. <laughs> yeah. Um, Except for the end of the Babadook, I guess. Yeah, like, <laughs> please go away thing in my basement. <laughs> right. Um, but then there's other films like Blair Witch or The Haunting, which mm. literally never establish a monster. Like, yeah. what is the monster? <laughs> which is the cool part, because it's like, those are my favorite ones because you get to imagine it, and I know some people hate them because they're like, there's no concrete imagery for me. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, what you don't know is scarier than what you know. Absolutely. That's why camera, like, like horror movies take place in like thin hallways where they have to like take a sharp right or a sharp left. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why when you read horror stories, a lot of times they're, like, close first person because you can only see what they're seeing. Yeah. Um, and, like, so these people didn't really know how to define horror, so they basically argue that uh, horror has, like, cases that are very obviously horror, like Insidious. That's a horror movie. Yeah. And then there's, like, stories that vaguely wander in the horror's territory but aren't exactly horror movies, which are, like, thriller movies. Yeah. I don't know. Could you make an argument that Jurassic Park, uh, Jurassic World is a horror movie? Yeah, I mean, you, and it's got a monster. I, I would say, well, are the dinosaurs really monsters? Yeah. I would say it's the jerk scientist who uses genetic engineering to create a, a militarily applicable biological weapon. I will never get over that dinosaur getting out by just like holding itself above the door until the door opened. Oh my word. <laughs> Um, That's something that most humans wouldn't think of. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the second uh, thing science only pointed out was that they help us explain evil. So usually in the past, if you in a religious society, which most early you know societies are, it doesn't matter if you're religious now or not. But like they uh, they use religion to explain evil. You know, like Satan did this, or like this evil spirit was here, or demon. Uh, or the person was uh, possessed. Um, as a uh, society, now, we don't really discuss evil anymore. We're just like, that person was insane, or they had like a mental illness or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fine that, I find that really weird that we don't discuss evil anymore. It's just like, oh, people did this. Yeah. Uh, there are a few definitions of insanity. Uh, there's that Benjamin Franklin definition of doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. But the one I gravitate the most to is the legal definition, which is something like your mental condition uh, prevents you from following the rules of your society. Mm-hmm. Is that necessarily evil? 
if what let's say you believe that uh, what, let's say it was advanced obsessive compulsive disorder that you believe that uh, killing these people uh, will please this dead loved one or something yeah and then it's like did they just not get the help they needed or would they have done that anyways or like maybe they're right and they actually are hearing the voices of this dead loved one who's like i'm gonna you know destroy the world with my evil ghost powers if you don't and we can't confirm that their voices aren't real right right we we know that they think they're real yeah and we just can never completely understand another person and therefore can't understand their experience. And like, for instance, I hear when I'm alone, like my mom's voice saying my name Mm -hmm. all the time. Like I know I'm home alone and I hear her voice. I'll go look and no one's home. And I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know why it shows up and I'm like, stop. Mm. And it's always like when I have like headphones on or something and I'm like Mm -hmm. doing something that I'm like really intent on, that's Mm -hmm. when it pops up. I think I've read studies though of ambient noise where th- there are certain frequencies that, like, like your mom's frequency, for example. Let's say you were working with earbuds in, and your mind was elsewhere, and your mom in real life did call out to you. From then on, you would be more alert to those kinds of mm-hmm. uh, Isn't that called, those kinds of calls. Yeah, uh, I I used to know the name for that mm. concept, but now I can't remember it. Um, and then you've also got to think about like what is good and what is evil like if you take the bible it's like the moral fabric of society like the definition of good mm-hmm. um, then like you know what people are doing in the conservative states that super closely follow the religions is like actually the definition of good mm-hmm. and like that's not something I agree with but mm-hmm. um, it also depends heavily on society. You had mentioned that early societies were based around religions. Uh, I would say that current laws are based around society. Mm-hmm. Uh, stealing from people, murdering other people, um, I don't know, committing adultery in your mind or in actuality. These are all things that don't help build strong communities. Communities where you live in the same space and get resources that you need in a way that doesn't prevent other people from getting their resources and not causing fighting and promoting the survival of the species, I guess. And in that case, like, every community is like a horror story because we're all competing for the same resources. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, you know, like, you may want something, but if I want it more, I'm going to win out for it probably. Yeah. Um, And we're basically just fighting over whatever at that point and you know taking from what someone else needs in order for us to survive Mm -hmm. so in that case like every person is like a good and bad person someone else's story horror is very relatable Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's like why the third point which they teach us to deal with our own anxiety Mm -hmm. um you know like teenagers tend to use use them as like manhood tests probably like toxically but you Mm -hmm. know it's like during the scary parts do you jump did you get scared right um and they try to sit still and it reminds me of that during when hereditary came out um there's not a lot of jump scares in that movie. No. It um, is horror. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but people, I saw this Reddit post that was like, uh, it was like, Hereditary is out and it's getting rave reviews. So you know what that means? Now that good, you're not going to get a good review. It's going to be all of your friends telling you that they weren't scared during Hereditary. Oh, gosh. Um, 
but you know you, you can use it to test your limits like how composed can you stay um like if you don't like it you can just look away or you can like go get a drink or you can make a joke like we do all the time during oh movies to gosh. release the tension yes i mean if you if you hate people who talk during movies you will hate <laughs> sitting next to ian and me oh my gosh uh but what, what was it during insidious 2 um but the main ghost in the house's name is bill right yeah. So so this goes like three leave recordings. Oh wait, is that the conjuring two? Uh the chair guy, right? With with Valak? With the the nun? Yeah, that that's conjuring. Conjuring, my mistake. Okay, so conjuring two, which covered like the Enfield house. Yeah, like the Enfield, Enfield poltergeist. Enfield poltergeist, yes. Uh the main ghost in that house was named Bill. He liked to leave voice recordings, and on one of those recordings he was like, Bill Bill, Bill, <laughs> and Ian and I are just going like, Bill, 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 Bill Nye, the science guy. To <laughs> <laughs> see, those movies are scary because they have jump scares, but they're yeah. not, they're predictable because they yeah. overuse jump scares. So you yeah. can just do stuff like that. Because you oh, know yeah. something scary is about to pop up. Yeah. Um, so, but like, you can, you can like break that tension. Um, and they allow us to deal with our own anxieties in that way. Also, they allow us to reflect society's, like, super scary parts in film mm-hmm. and distance ourselves from them but still view them. Mm-hmm. Um, so Psychology Today kind of had the same concepts, but it talked about um, one research where they were researching disgust. Um, so they showed three, or three documentaries to college students, and the first one showed cows being stunned, killed, butch- and butchered in the slaughterhouse. Sorry, vegans. <laughs> um, the second showed a live monkey being uh, struck with a hammer um, and its brains being served as dessert. And the third showed a child's facial skin being turned inside out in preparation for surgery. And I was like, what the fuck surgery was this kid having? I, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I taught anatomy for three years. And if they were doing surgery, if they had to remove skin from a kid's face, I wish I could see the video actually. Uh, because I'll give greater insight. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Maybe something with the bones directly. Um, I don't know. But ninety percent of students turned off these films before they reached the end. Um, but they also pointed out the students that, like, you know, these students would go to see movies that are substantially more gory. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, basically, it's the same argument that, like, you know, it's fake, so you can like view it without feeling too guilty, and unless you like see something that's taboo, but also in a healthy way, I guess. Like hmm. you didn't actually just go out and like hit a monkey in the head with a hammer. Yeah, well, you saw someone else do. You would probably lose that fight. The monkey would probably beat you before you got there. How big of a monkey, though? Well, even like a tiny monkey would be like get away from me, human, and just climb away. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Um, <laughs> like good luck. You have to like earn its trust first, which is even worse. Oh yeah. Talk, um, talk about horror, <laughs> yeah. betraying your friends. <laughs> so that allows for distance and control. Um, some researchers pointed out Carl Jung's belief that horror taps into primordial archetypes, like the shadows or mother, and that's why like that stuff shows up in our dreams too. Mm. Which reminds me of that weird dream I had in Wales when I was like hella drunk and had to catch a train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I had gone out drinking. Uh, I was catching a train to North Wales, which is a park, and. I had like four hours of sleep before I had to get up to get ready. So I was, I came in, laid down in the bed, uh, was dreaming, had a dream that 
in or before I opened my eyes, I had this like I knew I was waking up, but I had this vision of this like crone like old woman with super long dirty fingernails standing over ooh, me with her ooh, hand like ooh. as a claw above me. Oh jeez. Um, and now I'm just thinking the claw. <laughs> the claw. <laughs> um, but she was standing over me, and then I opened my eyes. And when I opened my eyes, it wasn't like she turned and ran. It was like someone hit the rewind button on a VHS, and she went like backwards and down the round like circular staircase and out the door, and I heard the door slam. Oh. Um, but you know, I was also like half asleep, so I was like, was it a dream? Like, what? Um, but I woke up and like, I had drank, you know, like, I was like 10 beers in when I came home. And it had been like four hours. So like, I woke up completely sober. Let it be known that Ian can outdrink an average <laughs> German girl. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that again. <laughs> I was just determined to be accepted by the, the UK people. And he was. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, like, I was thinking that's, like, the, the primordial crone figure or something now. Mm-hmm. Um, Aristotle, uh, relate, or probably Aristotle was the first person to posit catharsis. We don't really know. Um, but it's also a way to release strong emotions. You know, like, you can, like, literally cry and scream in horror movies, but you can't do that in public normally, or people like, stop being weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like I was telling you before, I, I keep that to the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it just reminds me of a poem I recently read where the line was like, I I play the role of sane until I get to my car or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they also relate this to why people play strong or play violent video games because you can... Uh, um, you know, like, you can go out and murder everyone on the street and not get in trouble for it, except by the video game place, and you get to murder them, too. Yeah. Um, and then they also pointed out that negative feelings during a film actually increase joy when the hero triumphs, mm-hmm. but we don't really know why or what happens when the hero doesn't triumph. Hmm. But um, some studies found that uh, the person who, uh, when they people actually feel more joy during the negative parts of a film than the positive parts. Interesting. Yeah, very strange. And there was all, that was only in very few cases. Mm-hmm. Um, How did they measure joy? I don't know, because I, I didn't look at the... Gotcha. It was just a, a literature review. It wasn't that in-depth. Right. I mean, it'd be um, interesting if it was like an fMRI scan that yeah. like measured... Uh, like sugar use in the brain in certain areas associated with joy or something. Yeah, and that, I mean, you can find that in the Psychology Today 2015 article. Um, that's like a, it's like, it was like one of the first things that came up when I Googled why do we like horror. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, basically, you know, it's mostly probably sensation seeking, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, like, you know, like I like to make the joke that, like, they help us explain evil, and I'm like, you know, I've read and watched so much horror and folklore, like, let a ghost try and kill me. <laughs> yeah, right? And I feel like Jordan Peele really gets that with his horror, because let's say, um, if you haven't seen Us, I, mean, I, 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 I don't think I'm going to be spoiling too much. Yeah, it's been out for a couple months, but still. Yeah, true. Okay. Well, the premise of Us is that everyone has a doppelganger, and at some point, all these doppelgangers come up from underground and try to kill everyone. So... Being connoisseurs of horror, like horror, <laughs> like Ian and I are, I feel like we would be well equipped to like ask the questions that only only we would know uh, to identify ourselves from the doppelgangers, right? 
and we come up with like lots of grisly, efficient ways to eliminate the <laughs> doppelganger. <laughs> I'm just thinking of um, this uh, vine I wanted to make before Vine died, yeah. where like I would be coming out of my room and you were like running up my stairs, and I was like, "What are you doing?" And you would just be like, "There's a monster following me." Like you have to be more specific: monster, specter, ghost, <laughs> demon. There's so many different ways, and like you're staring at me, and the camera keeps panning back and forth between our faces as like you can see like this monster running to the hallway and like running up the stairs <laughs> as we're as I'm being like hella pedantic. Yep. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could probably do it with, with uh, TikTok now, though, yeah. right? Yep. However long that's going to last. God, I hope not long. TikTok <laughs> makes me sad inside sometimes. That's the new horror. Oh, gosh. No, I think I, I love horror for uh, the human aspect. Uh, yeah, like how people react to it, but more like how people themselves are capable of tremendous evil and how we're supposed to deal with that. Uh I was super disturbed at the end of Jurassic Park, where they were a Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, where they were considering killing a bunch of dinosaurs, and this little girl, who was also a clone, was like, if I get to live, then they get to live. That's just the horror that we have to accept with genetic engineering. The further we go, the more ethical quandaries we're going to have to deal with. We have way too much power over each other and nature, and one of these days, we're gonna do something absolutely horrible, and we don't know how we're gonna deal with it. Yeah. Horror movies, at least, are a way to talk about it. Yeah, the, they're um, to reflect societal fears. Yeah. Which is also what fairy tales do, and a lot of fairy tales are scary as hell. Well, a lot of fairy tales are mostly like, listen to your parents or you're gonna, or you're gonna die. Yeah, well, but then there's also the ones that are like... Um, where the evil, the ugly, the stepmother in Cinderella sends her out to find to go to Baba Yaga to get something from her, mm-hmm. and then it turns out that um, the Baba Yaga is actually like related to the stepmother, and she's like wants revenge, so they work together to kill the stepmother. Dang. I think I'm remembering that one right. There's like that's an old Russian one. Kind of sounds like Spirited Away. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. That's all I got. You got anything else? I, no, no. <laughs> All right. Um, so every other Friday, so bi-weekly, we'll be recording these. Uh, this one will go up on the 14th, which means it will be the 28th when the next one comes out. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what I'm going to do that one on right now. Me neither. Um, we do have a Twitter. Uh, it's hopefully going to be at Discourse. Um, but right now, it got set up somehow automatically as Course Dis. So, um, I mean, you can look at it for it either way, but I'm hopefully going to make it work where it says Discourse and not yeah. Course Dis. Um, it's also Dis with two S's once again. Mm-hmm. And I'm Ian. I'm John. And until next time, 14 days. <laughs> <laughs>